I invite you to consider with me the two worlds of Christmas. You recall the coming of Jesus was predicted for many years, first as a child of a woman and then as part of the lineage of Abraham, then the house of David, and it narrowed down to the fact that he would be born in Bethlehem in Judea. And then there was the prophet who, who said something very curious about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. He said that his name would be called Everlasting Father, Mighty God. What kind of a person could this be? For in the context of those who worshipped the Creator, who did not even dare to take his name on their lips because of the, the awe and esteem with which they came to God, would say that a child was to be born whose name would be Mighty God. Then the New Testament cracks the door open on the mystery. We not only read of the lineage of Jesus in the Gospels, but John tells us that this was the Creator who was born, the Word made flesh, who dwelt among us, and in whom we saw all the grace and the truth of God himself. And it was Jesus who made the most explicit statements on his identity. For he said over and over that he was the one who came down from heaven. You recall in John 3 the discussion with Nicodemus, one of the rulers of Israel. The man who came at night wondering about the kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I'm not talking in mysteries except that you do not understand otherworldly things. Not surprising. But I am telling you things because I have descended from that world and I will ascend again to it. The very reason that I have the authority to speak is because I am from that other realm of reality that is so mysterious to you. The people followed Jesus for some time, and at the height of his popularity, after feeding more than 5,000 miraculously, we read in the record in John 6 that he again underscored his identity. And he said to them explicitly, I came down from heaven. I am one of you, circumcised, recorded in Luke 2. I'm a very human being. Hebrews chapter 2 tells about it. Like us in every respect, tempted as we are, yet without falling for temptation and falling into sin. And yet he repeats again in that chapter, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. 
He talks about that world frequently. In fact, he says that what happens in this world is connected with that world. For we read in Luke 10 and John 12 how these works here affect what goes on there. And Jesus said of his work here that he sees in his redemptive work that Satan, the devil, falls as lightning out of heaven. For these two worlds are both God's worlds. And it is the same God who created them and who rules in them. And it is the coming of Jesus, this person who had two natures, human and divine, who, according to the physician Luke, was born of a virgin who was so overshadowed by the Holy Spirit that she conceived and bore this child. And he became Emmanuel, God with us. That world joined to this world. And human beings began to understand new things. For they have a new connection with something that gives them a vision and broadened horizons of things far beyond the momentary and the transitory and the temporary. We are not just mortal creatures. We have souls and spirits. We are beings destined for another world. And we should live in this one accordingly. I came from the Father, Jesus said. Come into this world. The disciples said, now you're speaking clearly. Indeed, he wanted us to be certain to know that when he came, he came from another place. Well, you say that's a nice travelogue. Someone left one place, comes to another, returns. Much as the Spanish court listened to the returned Columbus who told them about the mysterious new world, or Marco Polo who brought back some silks and spices and perfumes from the Far East. And everyone was wide-eyed because they heard of things they had never heard of before. We can treat Jesus this way. Except he said, now in reference to that other world, I am going to return and prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. For he was concerned not only to redeem us and to bring to this world his teaching and his principles. He was concerned also about our destiny, for we will take the same trip that he took when he ascended and returned. And this child who came at Christmas opens our minds 
and our hearts to something that we never could have known. For he tells us about that world and how we wanted to know. The ancient Egyptians buried so many things with their kings and leaders, chariots and, and wealth that they could use in the next life. I saw in the far east as the, the people at their temples were bringing gifts and pictures of things that they would burn so that the smoke could go to those who were dead that they might use these various facilities for things in the next life. In China, it's the same way, the graves. Mankind has always wanted to know about that life, how to get there, what there will be. And Jesus comes and says, I've been there. The babe of Bethlehem, born of a virgin, is the very God himself. And we've seen him and heard him. And we're all on that journey. Makes a difference. The way we live here will never be the same once we catch the glimpse of the far country. like riding in a big ship. Let us say we're all together on this ship and we're on the way to Singapore. And the captain's voice comes over the loudspeaker and says, are you having a good time? Everybody said, yes. For the director of the social programs has taken good care of us. Are you eating well, says the captain? We said, yes like we do on all of the ships, more food than we can possibly consume. Are your accommodations good? They're wonderful. Well, he said, enjoy it. For I've decided that when we run out of food and we run out of energy sources for our engines, we'll just sink the ship. So meanwhile, enjoy yourselves. That's the way many people are living. This planet Earth is burning out its energy sources. And we are convinced that someday it will be no more. We're not sure when. But meanwhile, we'll enjoy ourselves. And death, by all means, is the end. For we've speculated, but there's no assurance. And then Jesus is born, and suddenly there's another world documented in time. How should we then live? What happens to our, our perceptions of life, to our values, and to the standards that we set, the principles we confess? They're very much like the principles of physical law, aren't they? The, the way science functions. We, we go out into space as far as we can and we still function by the same rules. Why is that? 
probably because one God is the creator of all. The whole universe functions by universal truth. And Jesus came to say that other world is just like this one in that respect. The laws, the rules, the principles, the values are the same there and here. And where you've lost it, I'm here to teach you. And where you've violated it, I'm here to redeem you. But you should live in this world as you will live in the next. He refused to change. He gave his life for it. And he says to us, follow me. That's Christmas. Two worlds come together at last with assurance, with challenge. And so in this world, we have a responsibility. And we change our conduct. It was Jesus who came into this world and said, I give you a new commandment now that I'm with you from that other world love one another that's Christmas let us talk of our traditions for a moment this world at Christmas that world he left this world he invaded with his spirit it's never been the same I want to talk for a minute about Santa Claus. You know about Santa Claus? Dr. Edward Seeley wrote an article several years ago, interesting study of Santa Claus. A little baby born in the year 280 AD in a town called Patra in Italy along the Mediterranean coast. Fine young lad, loved the church, loved the scripture, studied, prayed, meditated. When he was young, his parents died and left him a substantial amount of money and wealth. And the young lad said, I, I cannot, according to my faith, I cannot keep this for myself. And so he would listen and watch for opportunities to share it. And one story comes back, which has been documented in history that there was a, a family with three young girls but it was a very poor poor family and the the girls had no dowry to give to a young man who might want to marry them and when Nicholas found out about it he put some gold in a little sack and he went over in the night and he threw it through the window until so the oldest daughter could marry with a dowry and he did this three times, and by that time the father found out who had done it. But he was pledged to secrecy, and so the story wasn't told until much later. You see, Nicholas believed that in as much as he did it to the least, he was doing it to Jesus. And as Jesus came to the poor, to the sick, 
to the downtrodden, to those who were unclean. So he reached out. He went to a monastery, finally. But he wasn't happy there. He wanted to be where the people were. And so Nicholas applied and was received into a pastoral task in a little city about 15 miles to the east called Myra. The people there learned to love him as he visited them and cared for them. And then the archbishop died. And by a strange set of circumstances, Nicholas became the archbishop of Myra. And there was a famine, and he bravely led his people through and spent his wealth on them and shared any time he had anything. And he led them through their trials, and he suffered and was persecuted. He became a confessor, one of those who did not suffer martyrdom but was imprisoned for his faith. And it was Constantine, the emperor, who released him from prison, and he went back to become archbishop again in Myra. Then in 325, they held that great council of Nicaea. It was at Nicaea that the, the true ecumenical creed was formulated, the one after which our Apostles' Creed is framed. And that creed is focused on the Trinity. And the Bishop of Myra, Nicholas, had a hand in writing that creed that states that there is one God in essence, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And through the ages, the church has confessed its faith in the words of that creed. And the faith of Nicholas was a deep faith that led him to be generous and kind, to practice that new commandment of love. For in his heart, Christmas was always every day. It wasn't just a time of the year when he felt particularly generous. Well, he died on December 6th in 343. And in the 11th century, his remains were carried over to Italy to a little town in southern Italy called Bari. And then the legends began about Saint Nicholas. And the story came out of how he, he brought the gold to the needy and it turned into a story of, of dropping gold down a chimney that landed in some stockings hung in the fireplace. And in the 19th century, this story had gone across Europe and came to the Netherlands, where the Dutch had a nickname, a shortened version of Nicholas, Claus, became Sinterklaas. And because of the Spanish influence in southern Holland, it was Santa Claus. And December 6th to this day is the day when gifts are given in many countries of Europe because that's the day that St. Nicholas died. 
And so the story spread. The 19th century Washington Irving told the story of a, of a very jolly little St. Nicholas with a tubby tummy who flew through the air and a sleigh drawn by reindeer. And a theologian, a professor at the Theological Seminary of New York, Clement Moore, wrote a story. "'Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. And out of that legend came Santa Claus, the ubiquitous Santa Claus. And our children ask, is there a Santa Claus? And like so many things at Christmas time, we've misinterpreted the origins and we've overlaid it with our own materialism, but Santa Claus, remember this, Santa Claus, in the true sense of the word, was a man of God who understood completely what it meant that the two worlds came together in Bethlehem. For Jesus is the one who inspired Santa Claus, Saint Nicholas, to give and to share and to give mercifully to those who were undeserved because God had so loved him that he gave his son just for him. And this is the world where we practice the love of that world. And this is the world where Christians today become the channels of the grace of God and where we as his true disciples rejoice to live as Jesus lived here among us. A world that needs us. A world that respects those who live by the principles they confess. And whatever we think of what goes on in the world and what its history looks like in all of its, its grim darkness, beneath it is the aching heart of human beings who really want to know God, who recognize love when they see it, and who respond with the bright lights and the great stars in the night and the songs of a Christmas season. The two worlds of Christmas, the time to reaffirm our faith and to rejoice in one who came as a redeemer and a friend. Life there, life here, one and the same as the two worlds are joined in the hearts of all who receive Jesus, the child of Bethlehem. Let us pray.
Lord, we thank you for the great traditions that we celebrate. But we thank you most of all for the truth in these traditions. For the coming of our Lord and the subsequent faith of your people. The demonstration of love in this world by you and by those who are faithful. We pray that we may be among those this season who speak not only of him, but who live a life that attracts those who recognize that you are a God of love and that your spirit is among all of us. So use us, give us your grace and receive our gratitude for your great gift. Through the babe of Bethlehem, we pray. Amen.